Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Got a couple of things to talk about this episode, including some drama across the NBA, mostly about Anthony Davis, the brow, and his vocal demand for a trade, and how he does not intend to re-sign with the Pelicans after next year. So a lot of rumors and speculation swirling around where he's going to go. And then, of course, this Sunday's Super Bowl matchup between the Los Angeles Rams and the New England Patriots. And, of course, we have to discuss uh, Rams cornerback Nikel Roby Coleman and his comments about Tom Brady because it was the dumbest thing he's probably ever done in his career thus far. But for now, let's start with Anthony Davis. So a couple days ago, it was announced that Anthony Davis told the Pelicans that he does not intend to re-sign with New Orleans at the end of his contract, which doesn't end after this season. It ends after next season. So they still have him on the contract for about a season and a half, but he said already he does not intend to re-sign. So obviously the Pelicans would be smart to trade him instead of just letting him walk for nothing. And that's one thing, but he was also fined, Davis and uh, I believe his agent, were fined $50,000 for uh, violating the league's uh, public trade uh, policy, I guess it was, but I didn't even know, I didn't know that you can't publicly make a trade. You know, I, I felt like you could because Jimmy Butler, you know, he would come out and say, you know, trade me, trade me, trade me. When he was with the Timberwolves, I felt like that was all the reports I was reading about how Timmy, Jimmy Butler wanted out of Minnesota and he wanted to be traded by the Timberwolves. And they didn't find him, so I was kind of confused as to where this rule came from, but apparently it's always been a rule that a player or the player's agent, so Anthony Davis didn't do it, his agent Rich Paul did, and his agent came out and said, my client wants to be traded. And apparently, you can't do that. That's a violation of uh, the league and the NBA PA's policy or whatever. So he was fined $50,000 for that. I guess the way you have to go about it is pretty much saying, like, hey, I'm not going to resign. And then that will pretty much give the team a, a, a notice, like, hey, okay, we should probably trade him. And it hasn't come out yet, but... Apparently, Davis and his agent are going to make it known that he wants to go to Los Angeles, as everyone predicted. He wants to go to the the Lakers. Is his preferred destination. And, you know, everyone kind of assumed that that was going to be the case. So, Anthony Davis to the Lakers is definitely the front runner of the Anthony Davis sweepstakes. Magic Johnson trying to deal whoever to get the brow, and then, of course, he would most likely resign there if he were traded. Now, if you're the Lakers, who do you trade? Because I feel like the Pelicans are going to want the Lakers' best young player for their best player. And, obviously, that would mean parting ways with Kyle Kuzma. So, I don't know if the Lakers would be willing to do that. Obviously, they they should. It shouldn't even be a question. They should... 100% 100% trade Kyle Kuzma if it means getting Anthony Davis. But we'll see if they try to finesse a trade where 
Magic Johnson doesn't have to give up Kyle Kuzma, and he'll send a package of Lonzo and expiring contracts. So Lonzo, uh, even though they don't really need a point guard, the the Pelicans, but maybe you know you throw in Lonzo, Contavious Coldwell Pope, uh, maybe a couple other expiring contracts, maybe Josh Hart. If they're really being uh, stifflers about it, or sticklers about it, uh, I think Josh Hart could probably be in the equation. But I think Magic Johnson's going to do everything he can to try and get Anthony Davis without giving up Kyle Kuzma. I would trade Brandon Ingram, no question about it. Brandon Ingram's on the block. I mean, I I don't understand how he hasn't been traded already, but Brandon Ingram is 100% on the table. If teams are like, hey, we really want Kyle Kuzma, Magic should just be like, we'll give you Brandon Ingram. A little less good of a version of Kyle Kuzma, but kind of the same player, almost. Except Brandon Ingram can't really shoot a three efficiently, so that's a big, it's a big difference. But the Lakers, after all this is said, obviously are the, the front runners to land the brow. Now, there were reports that I was reading yesterday and a couple days ago about how the Knicks are going to try and make at least a competitive offer to get Anthony Davis. Now, excuse my French, but the Knicks need to stay the fuck away from Anthony Davis. Stay the hell away from him. Get out. Don't even look in his general direction. Don't even sniff in his general direction. The Knicks should not even be... they, They shouldn't even be contemplating trading for Anthony Davis because it has a Carmelo Anthony type of deal written all over it and your Carmelo Anthony at least was there when the Knicks were what was he here for eight years Davis might not even resign you might get him for two years and he would be like fuck you guys I'm leaving and then what you're stuck with nothing literally nothing if I'm the Knicks I take my chances and I don't sign I don't try and trade for Anthony Davis. I keep my draft picks, I keep my young players, and then I either draft whether you're in well, you're going to get a top 3 pick if you're in the Knicks. Unless the lottery really fucking rigs it where it's just complete horseshit and the Knicks end up getting like the 5th pick or some terrible like that. I'm really hoping that doesn't happen and hopefully they can finesse the 1, 2 or 3 pick as they should. Because they have, they're going to have a top three worst record in the league. So if I'm the Knicks, here's what I'm doing. I'm not trading for Anthony Davis, and I'm keeping all my young players. This draft, I'm drafting either R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, or John Morant. And it's a... It depends, obviously, who you're drafting by the draft position you get. If you get the one... I think, honestly, getting the number one pick would be worst-case scenario for the Knicks. Give them two or three because it makes the choice a lot easier. If you get the number one overall pick, I feel like the Knicks somehow, someway, will mess it up. I have no confidence in them having the number one pick. It, It scares me to death. If you get the number two overall pick... At least then it narrows it down. Because then the first team, whether they pick R.J. Barrett or Zion Williamson, or hell, even John Morant might go first overall, which I don't think he should. He should probably be second or third. 
But you got those top three guys are going to be probably the top three picks in the draft now. So if I'm them, I'm I'm taking the second pick is ideal because then you have it, it makes it a little less stressful of a situation. But regardless, let's just say they get the let's say worst case scenario they get the third overall pick, and you pick John Morant right because R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson are probably going first and second. So you pick John Morant now. You have a bona fide playmaker. He is, he could jump out the building, right? He has like rockets shooting out of his ass when he jumps. He has excellent court vision. You know, he can make a pass to somebody in the parking lot. That's how good of his court vision is. So you finally have your bona fide playmaker. And also a guy who can score himself. You got Kristaps Porzingis coming back. Then you try your best to make a pitch to Kevin Durant. Now, this might sound a little crazy or a hot take, but if I'm Kevin Durant, I would much rather go to a Knicks team with a young point guard like John Morant, Kevin Knox, and Kristaps Porzingis than Anthony Davis and Kevin Knox. Or Anthony Davis and Kristaps Porzingis. I don't know what the Knicks trade package would be, for the Pelicans, but I I also read something about how the best trade the Knicks could give the Pelicans that would outbid the Lakers involves Kristaps Porzingis, and I think if you so Kristaps Porzingis and probably their first and their top three pick for Anthony Davis. So if I'm Kevin Durant and I'm looking there and the only person you have is a young Kevin Knox and Anthony Davis, why would Kevin Durant want to go there when he can go play with LeBron James? You don't have a playmaker on the Knicks if you get. If you get rid of uh, Kristaps Porzingis and your top three pick, so if you're Durant and now you're looking and they draft, let's say John Morant or a different other explosive guy like Zion or R.J. Barrett, any one of those three picks will be fine. If you get one of those three guys, pair them with Kevin Knox and Kristaps Porzingis, all of a sudden that's a really young team that Kevin Durant could play with and could be a part of, and could be the bona fide leader of that team. Now, as I'm saying this, John Morant, if you're trying to land Kevin Durant, would probably be the best draft pick for the Knicks. Because Kevin Durant thrives. He is his best version of himself when he has a good point guard. We've seen when Steph Curry was out this year, the Warriors did struggle. Kevin Durant did struggle. Same thing if you ever see Russell Westbrook out. Durant... He's not. He's better when he has a primary, a guy as a primary ball handler that can make plays happen for him, and he's off ball. When he is the primary ball handler, it's a little more difficult for him because if he's the primary ball handler, the defense is really focusing on him more than if he's running around off ball, getting open off on off ball screens and stuff like that. So Durant definitely thrives when he has a good playmaking point guard i.e. Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook, two of the best point guards in the in basketball. Give him John Morant, who is has great vision and is explosive and a playmaker in his own right, plus other scoring options like Kevin Knox, who by the time next year rolls around, will be able to be a much more efficient and consistent scorer. But he's shown flashes this year. And then, of course, a healthy Kristaps Porzingis, who, in my opinion, should just sit out the entire year and 
no one he shouldn't even think about coming back to play at all. Just sit out the rest of the year. Because it's not it's not worth it. And I don't know if the Knicks have said anything about that yet or not. But he should definitely not play. So you got those three guys, plus I guess by default, Tim Hardaway Jr. would be your shooting guard, who also grossly overpaid, but another bona fide scorer in the NBA. He can score. There's no doubt about it. Grossly overpaid, but he can score. And then you add Kevin Durant in the mix, all of a sudden you might have one of the more lethal offenses in the NBA. So I think that's your best pitch if you're the Knicks trying to land a big money free agent like Durant. All that said, it comes back to one point. Do not trade for Anthony Davis. In my opinion, it is not worth it. You don't have, even if you were to acquire Anthony Davis, would the Knicks be better instantaneously for the next two years that he's there or a year and a half that he's there? Yes, 100%. No question about it. The Knicks would be a better basketball team. They'll sell more tickets. Will they make the playoffs? The East is pretty weak, so yeah, maybe they would get into the playoffs. But would they do anything? No. And if, God forbid, Anthony Davis leaves after that, then you're actually stuck with nothing. You're you're not even back to the drawing board. You're back to going to buy the drawing board. So in my opinion, trading for Anthony Davis is not worth it. This draft class is loaded loaded with so much potential talent and right now John Moran is great he plays at Murray State so it's a little bit concerning and a setback for me because he hasn't faced great competition all year Murray State's not a scrub school but they're not you know Duke or Kentucky or or UNC any those big time schools so it's a little concerning but his, his tools are there and his potential is there. The court vision is probably the most important part about his game. He leads the NCAA D1 with 10.5 assists, assists a game, and it's not even close. So his court vision is there. He can make plays happen, and that is probably the most important part. Now, if you get the top two pick, it's hard John Morant, as I said, I feel like that would be best-case scenario for the Knicks if they're trying to land someone like Kevin Durant. But I will not be mad if they get a top-two pick and they ha- you have to pick. I feel like Knicks fans would be infuriated if the Knicks got a top-two pick and picked John Morant. If they got the third pick, it's, it's, still, it's set in stone the Knicks are taking John Morant because RJ and Zion are going 1-2. So the Knicks get John Morant, and that's it. Knicks fans will be happy. But if they get a top two pick and they pass on whoever's there at number two, whether it's RJ or Zion, I, there's going to be a large boo at that at that draft. So I think if you're the Knicks, you're hard-pressed to pass on either one of them at the second spot, which it makes even the first spot harder because then I feel like most guys will be divided. You know, Do you take RJ or do you take Zion? I don't know. It's uh, it's crazy. It's just, it's a good problem to have right now if you're the Knicks, and I would not trade that pick for anybody right now. That pick, plus probably your best player or your first round pick last year, who people actually like. People actually like Kevin Knox. 
They think he could be a good basketball player. He could be a good NBA basketball player for the New York Knicks. And you're going to trade him? That or Porzingis with the first round, the top three pick? No, it just doesn't make any sense. Then circle back, you got the Knicks, uh, the Lakers, who are the front runners. Now there's talks about how Clay Thompson might come to Los Angeles. I don't know where all these reports are coming from. I really don't. Why the hell would Clay Thompson want to leave Golden State? Even if Durant leaves, Golden State is still the best team in the West. Unless the Lakers get Anthony Davis, of course, then you know you're you're talking about a little bit a little bit differently. But if the if if the Warriors keep Boogie Cousins, and Klay Thompson walks for whatever reason, and Durant walks. The Warriors are still, if Durant walks and goes to the East, he's not the the Warriors' problem anymore. He's not in the West. He goes to the East, see you in the finals, whoever goes there. You know, Durant's probably going to try and get to the finals. Or I would assume whatever team Durant goes to is heavy favorite to get to the finals. But if the Warriors lose Clay. And Durant, but retain, but keep Boogie Cousins. They're still a very good team. Now, are they a a one a runaway favorite? Absolutely not. But why would my thought process is Clay loves it in Golden State. He's made a home for himself there. The fans love him. He has arguably the greatest point guard ever. And even if Durant leaves, and like I said, they keep the Marcus Cousins, they still have one of the best centers in the league, too. So even without Durant, they're better than the Lakers with Anthony Davis. If they keep the Marcus Cousins. It's a lot of ifs. It's a lot of scenarios. I really don't see one where where Clay Thompson goes to Lakers. Why would he go to Lakers? It just... It doesn't make any sense to me. Why would Klay Thompson leave a team that is still built and he he knows his place and they they have great chemistry, they work well together, they're an efficiently run team, so why would he leave that to go to the Lakers where he automatically makes himself a villain? At least in Golden State he makes himself a villain. And he has to learn his new niche in that system. He has to learn how to play with LeBron and Anthony Davis. I just, I, I don't see why he would just uproot himself and go to the Lakers when the Warriors are still a perfectly good team. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, don't, I don't see why he would do that to himself. The Lakers have, they got a lot of ifs, you know, if they trade for this guy, if they trade for this guy, if this guy signs with them. Magic Johnson needs to sign someone, right? He can't go through this summer and next summer without any... This summer, more specifically, something needs to happen because you can't not get anybody, trade for anybody, sign for everybody this summer and then... What, you're stuck with the same exact team next year? You're just wasting LeBron away in L.A. That's all that's happening. 
Granted, this season's not over yet, and we have to see how they finish and all that kind of stuff. But Magic Johnson needs to make moves. I think... I, I don't see why you wouldn't trade your your entire starting five right now for Andy Davis. Like, anybody should be on the table. I said that Magic will probably be a little prone to not trading Kyle Kuzma just because he is the bona fide second best player on that team besides LeBron James. I don't think it's even close now at this point. Out of all that young talent they have, I think Kyle Kuzma is by far and away the second best player. So I think LeBron and Magic would both rather have Kyle Kuzma there. And then everyone else, in my, in my opinion, should be up for grabs. I think you try and trade everybody else besides Kuzma, but if the Pelicans really, really insist, like, hey, if Kyle Kuzma is not in this deal, we are not, we're not partaking in it. And they are really held firm on that and not budging. I, I think you just got to pull the trigger and trade Kyle Kuzma. Because Anthony Davis is that kind of talent, man. And what is he, 25 years old? 26 years old? I mean, he's a, he's a stud. Needless to say, you know, that's not even... <laughs> I shouldn't even have to say that. Everyone knows how good he is. Everyone knows what kind of talent he is. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting rest of the season. The trade deadline, I believe, is February 8th or February 7th. Early f- first week... End of the first week of February, beginning of the second week. I forget what kind. It's either somewhere between the 7th and the 10th is the last day of uh, is the trade deadline. So we're coming down close to it. It's getting, it's getting, we're about a week away from seeing what goes on. And then, of course, which I completely forgot about till now, you got the Celtics who are rumored to be in the hunt for Anthony Davis, but they can't sign or they can't trade for Anthony Davis while Kyrie Irving is under contract. So they wouldn't be able I forget what the what the clause is. I don't know if it has to do with uh salary cap or something like that. I think it has to do with salary cap, but it's a weird thing where Kyrie Irving can't be under contract with the Celtics for the for them to trade for Anthony Davis. So ideally for the Celtics Kyrie becomes a free agent after this year, uh, and then they trade for Anthony Davis and then re-sign Kyrie, and then you got those two guys. So, obviously, what would probably be the selling point for the Celtics, I think the Celtics, although they are in a bit of a, a bind because they can't trade for Anthony Davis right now, and the Lakers can, the Celtics would probably offer the best return because Jason Jason Tatum's gone. I mean, if the Celtics are trading for Anthony Davis, the Pelicans, the first player they're asking for is Jason Tatum and maybe even Jalen Brown because you can't, I would say trade Gordon Hayward, but you can't trade Gordon Hayward. He's on a max salary deal and he's, he's coming off the bench for the Celtics right now. I don't think the Pelicans want to take on that type of that type of contract, whereas Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, rookie deals. So you you would probably trade for them. One of if you're not, no deal with the Celtics and Pelicans is going to be made, is going to be made without Jason Tatum. At least it shouldn't if you're if you're New Orleans. 
That's the one guy that no matter what deal the Celtics are throwing at you, Jason Tatum needs to be a part of it. And honestly, I think the Celtics would thrive without Jason Tatum. This Celtics team anyway. I mean, imagine a lineup that has Al Horford, Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, and Gordon Hayward. And then Marcus Smart, I guess. Or Terry Rozier. Whichever one you want to start. That's a good lineup. Jason Tatum... Jalen Brown fits well within that Celtic system, but Jason Tatum right now is is too ball-dominant and too young. He's just not... Like, Anthony Davis is ball-dominant, but he could set picks, and, you know, he's a big man. He can do rebounds, does a lot more than just score. Jason Tatum's mindset right now is score, 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 and it, it doesn't help the Celtics. And obviously Kyrie has... In real life, subtweeted Jason Tatum to the press. Whether he meant to or not, he did. So, it, it, obviously, there's some type of chemistry issues within the Celtics. I mean, it's apparent to anybody who's ever watched a single game of Boston Celtics basketball. So, you got now the Lakers, the Celtics. Lakers are heavy favorites. Celtics, probably second favorite. And then the Knicks are saying they're going to throw their offer into the ring, but I'm praying that they just stay as far away as possible from this. But it'll be an interesting next week. Um, probably next Wednesday is uh, actually my birthday. Happy birthday to me. So I won't be recording a podcast then. Um, I'll try and do one... I might not even be able to do one that weekend, so this will probably be the last. Uh, we'll see. I'll try. Maybe I'll try and get one out next week, but uh, if I don't, you know, don't be upset. But it'll be a, an interesting, as I was saying, it'll be an, an interesting next uh, week or so to see if the Lakers actually pull the trigger with trading for Anthony Davis right now or... Uh, the Pelicans just don't accept any offers right now and wait for the summer where they can see that if I'm the Pelicans, I'm waiting, obviously. If I'm the Lakers, I'm pushing the house. Like, here's here's our best offer. Please take it, please take it, please take it. But if you're the Pelicans, you got to play it smart. Obviously, the Celtics have a lot of uh, young players that would be very valuable to the Pelicans. So, if you're smart, which I hope the Pelicans are, uh, they keep they keep their phone unhooked until the end of the season, until the summer rolls around, because then you get to hear the offers that the Celtics have to give you. So, if you're Magic Johnson, you know, you're loosening your tie up a little bit and you're sweating a bit uh, just because you know the Pelicans are going to wait, but you're hoping they say yes anyway. Anyway, that's... A lot going on with Anthony Davis. I mean, it's he's been the center of attention for a couple days now. So I had to talk about all that and how I think it was going to play out. Obviously, I said I think the Lakers are still the front runner, but Celtics could make a very strong case if the Pelicans decide to wait until the summer to deal Anthony Davis. 
Okay, pause from your regular scheduled podcast. Uh, so I had recorded this on Wednesday the 30th. It is now Thursday the 31st, and I had planned on uploading it uh, February the 1st, uh, just for due to uploading reasons, but I had to interject here because I couldn't upload... I couldn't upload this podcast without having this piece of information, regardless of everything I just said for basketball, right? There was this giant blockbuster trade that just happened today, Thursday, and according to Woj, New York agreed to deal with Dallas. That includes trading Porzingis, Courtney Lee, and Tim Hardaway Jr. for Wesley Matthews, Dennis Smith Jr., and DeAndre Jordan, plus a Mavericks draft pick. So... This changes everything that I just said, because now Porzingis is gone, they dumped Tim Hardaway's contract, and they dumped Courtney Lee's contract, and now the Knicks get Dennis Smith Jr., they get their point guard uh, of the future, and they get DeAndre Jordan, and they also get a draft pick. I Hopefully it's Dallas's first round draft pick, because it is, that's probably another lot- a late lottery pick, middle lottery pick, 13 to 15-ish. This is great. I mean, I, I love this deal. I think this deal is fantastic. It hurts letting go of Porzingis, but if you think of it this way, the Knicks have their first overall pick, right? So you get RJ or Zion, and then you have Dennis Smith, RJ or Zion, Kevin Knox, and ideally you go out and sign Kevin Durant, plus possibly another young rookie. I mean, I don't know. I think this is a fantastic deal off the off the rip, just... I, I think it's great. I think it's a great move. Again, it hurts getting rid of Porzingis, but you got great value for him. You got good value. And I think it, it works for the Mavericks too because they have been saying for a while they don't know if, they, if they're going to move on from Dennis Smith Jr. Now Luka Doncic is going to be the primary playmaker. Dennis Smith Jr. didn't really work in that rotation anymore. Now you got Luka with Kristaps. I think it works out for both ways. And... We'll we'll see how it plays out throughout the uh, the rest of the weekend and what everyone else has to think about this deal. But for now, back to your regular scheduled programming. Now, the Super Bowl is on Sunday, as everybody knows. And there has there is one thing that must be talked about before anything else before we get into the matchup and who I think is going to win and all that stuff. Nikel Roby Coleman, the defensive back for the Los Angeles Rams, who infamously laid out Tommy Lee Lewis in a helmet-to-helmet pass interference play that was a no-call, arguably the most infamous no-call in playoff history, comes out and says that he thinks time, Father Time, is, has definitely taken a toll on Tom Brady. What an absolute jerk-off this guy is. Like, a moron. A bona fide moron. Why would you say that? Like, you're a guy who was just talked about for a week and a half straight about how you got away with an absolutely ridiculous no-call, and that's the only reason why your team's in the Super Bowl. And now you have the, the audacity and the stupidity to say that you think Tom Brady has gotten old and his play is suffering because of it. You're kidding me. You are kidding me. 
He's in the Super Bowl at 41 years old. His ninth Super Bowl. Sometimes it really blows my mind how goddamn stupid some of these players are. How can you even think that's a rational thought? I I don't like he needs to back he needs to walk it back. He needs to walk it back and be like, oh, well, well, I what I really meant to say was blah 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 blah. Like something needs to happen. He cannot he cannot double down on this. I think worst worst case scenario he double he doubles down on it. That's worst case scenario. Best case scenario, or more best case scenario, he walks it back. Most realistic scenario, he doesn't say anything about it for the rest of the time up until the Super Bowl. I, I just, I don't understand some of these players. Like, why would you say that? Why? When has that ever worked out for any player that's come at Tom Brady? When? When has it ever worked out? People have called Tom Brady old and overrated and a system quarterback and he only wins because Belichick's his head coach for years. And what happens every single time? He wipes the floor with everybody. He's in his third straight Super Bowl. How could you possibly say that father time is affecting Tom Brady's play? Did he have his moments in the regular season where he wasn't, you know, obviously last season he was MVP caliber or he was the MVP last year, but only because, in my opinion and a lot of other people's opinions, Carson Wentz got hurt because Carson Wentz was a front runner up until he got hurt there. And then Tom Brady, obviously, they gave him the MVP because Carson Wentz couldn't finish the season. So, but regardless, MVP caliber last year. This year, if you look at the numbers, I guess it's a drop-off, but Tom Brady was still Tom Brady. He, the Patriots had a very good record. They had a, a first-round bye in the playoffs. They're back in the Super Bowl. Did, did it ever cross your mind that maybe he decided to take it easy this season? You have to remember, for the Patriots, they dominate when they want to, right? Like, they had really bad games. They had that one really bad game against the Titans. They put up, like, what, three points? That was bad. But then you have other other games where they light up the scoreboard, like against the Chiefs, which they also did in the playoffs. It's, in my opinion, it has nothing to do with Father Time. It has to do about whether Brady and the rest of the Patriots really are determined to beat a team. There are so many other factors besides father time that affect Tom Brady's play, honestly. Like, I, I don't understand how that's even a, a rational thought anymore with anybody. It, it doesn't make any sense. And to say it, and for him, of all people, Nikel Roby Coleman to say it, for him to say it, after knowing, admittingly so, from his mouth that he got away with that call and knowing that the only reason why you're in the Super Bowl is because you got away with that call. For him to say that against Tom Brady, I just don't understand why you would put a target on your back and a target on your team's back leading up into the Super Bowl. Has anyone on the Rams roster ever made it to a Super Bowl? Anybody on their roster? Brandon Cooks? Last year with the Patriots, that's the first one that comes to my mind. I would fact check that right now, but honestly, it's going to take too much time. So I'm just not going to. And stick with my gut that I think Brandon Cooks is the only player on the Rams roster that's ever made it to a Super Bowl. 
I know ESPN did a piece on it about what it's like uh, that a team, the Saints, drafted him and he got traded and the Patriots traded him after he gave a great deal of production for them and you know helped them in the Super Bowl even though he didn't finish the Super Bowl. And they were talking about how uh, how it felt to be what you know how he thought why he thought teams kept trading him even though he was giving production and he was like I don't know that's a good question but I'm glad the Rams made the right decision because they signed him to that extension. So now Brandon Cooks obviously uh, left the Super Bowl last year with a concussion and now back at it this year with the Rams against the Patriots who he was playing for. So I think he's the only one. I think he's the only one that's uh, that's been in a Super Bowl for the Rams. Maybe one of their offensive... I couldn't tell you who the Rams' offensive linemen are. But maybe one of their offensive linemen was in a Super Bowl for a different team at one point. I have no idea. I don't think anyone in the defensive line is. None of their linebackers... All their linebackers are relatively young. I know Dante Fowler Jr. was on the Jaguars last year, but they lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. A lot of the other guys are young. Oh, Aqib Tlaib. There you go. Aqib Tlaib has been a, has been in a Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl. So Aqib Tlaib and Brandon Cooks. That's two. It's not much better. That's all I'm saying. You have a very young and inexperienced team going against the most experienced Super Bowl player of all time. And you have the gall to say that you think his performance is lacking because of time. I'm sure Nikhil Roby Coleman will learn his lesson in the Super Bowl. Because that brings me into who I think is going to win. And I would be foolish to bet against Tom Brady in this situation. I really would. I wouldn't bet against Tom Brady last year. The Eagles pulled it out. They really did. Year before that, I'm I'm betting on the Patriots. Like even on the Falcons, when the Falcons were smoking them, start making, and then obviously the Patriots had their famous comeback, three Super Bowls in three straight years, and they barely lost against the Eagles. Barely, the Eagles defense showed up. I would be stupid to bet against Tom Brady. I I wouldn't feel right betting against Tom Brady. And honestly, I don't see how you can. I really just don't see how you can bet against Tom Brady. If you got the money to... I think the line is 2.5 right now for the Patriots, and the over-under is 56.5 last time I checked. Unless you get the money to blow, go ahead and, and bet on the Rams. You might win a nice chunk of change. But I, I just... I can't... I can't see a scenario where the Patriots just blow this. I really can't. The Saint, the Rams defense needs to like show up, show up, and play better than they did against the Saints, better than they did against the Cowboys. They really need to show up. Because Tom Brady will rip them to shreds. They're young. Obviously, Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib are experienced cornerbacks. But Peters has been torched. They've been targeting Peters a lot. Uh, and now, of course, Nikhil Roby Coleman probably put a target on his back as well. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's hard for me, man. I, I, I don't see how you can confidently bet against Tom Brady. Which 
means I would probably just stay away from the game anyway. If you're just unsure. But it's... Tom Brady is... The most experienced Super Bowl quarterback of all time, as I said. And you're going up against a team with a very young quarterback, a very young head coach, an inexperienced team in general. You know, this is their first super deep playoff run, right? They haven't been back to the Super Bowl in, you know, how many since the year 2000 or the year, uh, yeah, 2000, greatest show on turf. Or was that 1999? I don't, one of the two. And then you're getting, you're giving Bill Belichick and Tom Brady two weeks to prepare for your very young and inexperienced team. All signs point to the Patriots being favored in this game, which they are. But I mean, take the gambling aspect out of it. So the the spread, the over-under, take that out of it. Just eyeballing it. I don't know how you can go against the Patriots. I really like the Rams, as I said when I was talking about their matchup against the Saints. I really like the Rams, but I just... It's hard for me to go against a team that shouldn't be there. <laughs> like, I, I don't want... I hate saying that because they are there and, you know, it happened, and obviously there was a chance for the Saints to win in an overtime and all that. So, you know, the, the Rams were gifted that second life, that second opportunity, and they didn't squander it. So I can't take that away from them. I don't want to be a stickler about it anymore. But I just, I don't know if they're going to be able to, I mean, they barely showed up. They just got away with defeating Drew Brees and the Saints. And now you're going against a quarterback who is around the same age and a head coach who has been with him forever, just like Sean Payne and Drew Brees have. But they're better than the Saints, so it's it's hard. I know you get two weeks to prepare as well, but when the other sideline is Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, I just don't see how you can bet against them. I really don't. I think also this is uh, Gronkowski's last hurrah. I would not be surprised if he retired after this year. So if he chooses not to hang it up and come back for another season, it it honestly would be questionable because he wasn't really um, as big as a factor as he usually was in the regular season. But now in the playoffs, he's obviously been uh, a safety blanket for Tom Brady. You know, whenever they need a big catch – or, uh, you know, a big catch and throw, or maybe a run after the catch. Brady usually tries to find either Edelman or Gronk. And that game-winning drive against the Chiefs, Gronk had a couple of huge catches uh, for Brady. And, you know, he's been dynamic in the playoffs, but I just, I don't know how much longer he'll be willing to to go through that 16-game season. Now, maybe he has a plan. Maybe he's just going to keep replicating this kind of performance for the next three years, four years, and right off into the sunset with Tom Brady. And maybe even Bill Belichick. Who knows if Bill Belichick's still going to coach after Tom Brady retires? Who knows? It might be a 
you know, Greg Popovich kind of checked out now with the Spurs because, you know, Manu retired, Duncan retired, and Parker is in Charlotte. And he kind of he, he's kind of checked out. I think Greg Popovich is done with coaching. But it might be that kind of situation where, you know, your boys leave. Your boys leave. They fly the nest, you know. And Belichick and Brady have had teammates come and go and all that. But Gronk's been them been there for about uh, close to a decade now. I think he came to the league, what, 2010, 2011? So eight, nine years now he's been with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And maybe uh, all three, there, maybe there's a scenario where, you know, they win another one or two, one maybe, maybe they win this Super Bowl and maybe another one or another two, who knows? And they ride off into the sunset together as arguably the greatest trio of all time. So it's, well, Brady and Belichick, the greatest duo of all time, but if you want to talk about trios, you know, Gronk could definitely be in that mix. But, you know, this is, uh, maybe a last hurrah for Gronk. I don't know, maybe after they do win this Super Bowl, he, uh, he calls it quits, he hangs it up on top, you know, kind of like what Strahan did. Even though Strahan retired because of of age, not uh, medical issues. Because Gronk's body's banged up, and there's no question about that. Um, So we'll see. Maybe Gronk hangs it up after a win here. We know Brady's not, but maybe there is a situation, there is a a scenario where Tom Brady retires after this year. He might surprise all of us and be like, listen, I want to go out on top. That's it. I'm done. I don't want, he doesn't want to be. He could be the first kind of quarterback that uh, that retires on his own terms with no performance decline at all. Because even Peyton Manning, he stuck it out for a couple years where he just was not the same Peyton Manning. Tom Brady has a chance to, to win, go out on top, and just he didn't really have that kind of decline, and he was just great throughout his entire career. All quarterbacks have had, you know, uh, Montana had that. He was with the Chiefs for a while. I was like, kind of weird. And I only bring up Montana because uh, that's a good scenario. Uh, it's a good comparison. And also, he was arguably the greatest quarterback of all time uh, before Brady took that mantle. People, A lot of people consider Joe Montana to be the greatest quarterback. Listen, I'm hoping for a good game. I'm hoping for a great game, well-coached, back and forth, but I don't know if it's going to be that. I'm hoping for that, obviously, because I just enjoy good football, and no one wants to see a blowout. Everyone remembers that Seahawks-Broncos blowout game. That was just atrocious. Don't want to see something like that. Definitely not. So, hoping for a tight game. Uh, I think the Patriots pull out the win. And Tom Brady gets his sixth ring, Super Bowl ring, to tie Jordan as one of those generational athletes with X amount of rings. Because right now, it's Brady, Jeter, and Kobe with five rings. And then now he uh, ascends into Michael Jordan territory if he gets his sixth ring. So Brady is... Something special to watch. And as I said, 
in last podcasts and probably in a different podcasts before. You just got to sit back and enjoy the ride. And like I said, maybe he'll surprise us and retire after this year, but don't hold your breath because I doubt it. Anyway, that'll do it for this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, again, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to put out an episode next week. I will try. Uh, but if I don't, expect an episode the week after that to recap everything from the NBA trade deadline to the Super Bowl recap, even though it'll be a little bit stale. I'm still going to have to recap it and talk about it, about what happened and all that stuff. And, of course... The Yankees report, pitchers and catchers, spring training, February 13th. All teams, I think, report by the 14th. So, baseball is back in action, baby. Pitchers and catchers. Get ready for that, too. So, again, thanks for everyone for tuning in. Talk to you guys soon. Ah!